Um, well, uh, it is good to see you guys. And yesterday, when we were at the zoo, there was a time where one of our daughters, uh, Isabel, saw the chimpanzees. And I, I knew what she felt before she said anything. It was one of those moments where her eyes lit up, and she looked over at me, and she's like, oh, she's like, Daddy, chimpanzees. But she said, Daddy, chimpanzees. But what she really meant is, my whole world is exploding with joy. Can you see all of this behind me right now? What an amazing sight. I just want to be an all in wonder. This is the greatest thing in the entire world. All that was included in this just expansive expression. You know, and so you, you could tell that you know, her, her words said one thing, but, but she meant so much more. There was so much more going on than simply what she was saying. Uh, in the counseling world, this thing is true as well when we're helping people with communication. Uh, one of the things that we can look into is, is, are you perceiving what they're saying by their words only? Or are you also taking in what's not being said you know, by their countenance, by their eyes, by their body posture, by the tone of their voice? What else is being said that the, the words themselves don't fully convey? And to become mature, to become able to hear well, it's, it's good for us to learn how to pick up on all the cues that are going on in someone's life. Uh, neuroscientists have shown in recent years that not only can we, with our eyes, pick up what someone else is feeling, and not only can we see it in how they're expressing themselves, and, and not only can we hear it in what they're saying, we're also able to pick it up limbically through the, the limbic portion of our brain, and, and also through the, the sensors, the, the neural pathways also that, that go into our gut. And so when, when you're around someone that is full of peace, you can pick up with, within a certain you know, uh, space their peace. When someone is nervous, you can also pick up uh, their nervousness. So they've done studies with moms and babies to show that uh, a mother's emotion, uh, irregardless sometimes of, of their actions toward the child, can be imprinted upon the limbic portion of the brain of their babies. And so we have all these senses and sensory abilities to pick up on what another person is feeling and thinking beyond just what is being communicated. And so that's, that's true naturally. It's also true spiritually, that what one is being said is one thing, and it's, it's, it's great. When we read the scriptures, you know, we, we are learning how to order our mind, our emotions, our lives around what God has revealed of himself to us in scripture. At the same time, the Spirit is also speaking to us. And there may be at times, uh, not necessarily a difference, but maybe a nuance or a fuller meaning, or maybe a specific meaning to us in this day and this time that the Spirit is speaking to us. Uh, and that's true whether we're reading the scriptures, it's true if we're in a room like this, it's true if we're having conversations with anyone else, the Spirit is always speaking to us. We can go out in nature, I can go out and see chimpanzees and have a, a genuine encounter with, with nature, but also in that moment I can become aware that God is speaking to me something in that moment too. Uh, something maybe from my childhood that he's bringing back to mind, something that he's just communicating to me like, hey, that joy that is there is also for you at all times. I'm just using that as an example. But the point is that the Spirit's always speaking. 
And as we mature, and as we grow, and as we become more able to hear him, it is uh, a good thing and a responsible thing to always listen and pick up on what the Spirit's speaking in a moment at all times. Uh, because there's oftentimes, sometimes, uh, you know, differences. In the scriptures, for instance, we have this time where in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul shows up to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking to them. And, and Corinth at the time was very cosmopolitan. It was very philosophically oriented, it had temples everywhere. The, the people at the time, they were regarded as having uh, excellence when it, came to, when it comes to oratory skills. The, they, were, they would only follow the philosophers that were able to particularly enunciate well uh, a way of life that was you know, life-giving or hopeful or whatever it might have been for them. But they, they honored that above all things. Paul comes to them determining not to speak like that. As a matter of fact, he came in, in fear and, and trembling, where his, his body was, was overriding at times his ability to communicate. And he came in, in, in fear. And, and, and so like, literally, like he, was, he was expressing fear you know, through his body language and these kind of things. And, and he was not coming as one who was eloquent. He was not coming as one who was strong in speech. And this is coming from the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 4. And he came instead to demonstrate the power of God. So that the faith of the people there that were hearing this message would not rest upon man's wisdom, man's eloquence, man's strength, but their faith would rest upon God's power. God's power to set them free, God's power to reveal God, God's power to give them peace, God's power, not upon man's. And we, we take that for granted sometimes, but it's actually a message that goes all the way back to Moses. Moses comes on the scene and he has a stuttering problem. He is told by God to go to Egypt, to this place of finery where he grew up in the courts and learned how to negotiate politics and become part of a system of thought and thinking and verbiage that helped communicate excellence and, and man's power. But Moses came with stuttering. And it was too much for Moses. You know, he, he couldn't handle it. And so he asked God to give him another. And, and so Aaron came in and, and he translated the stutter to, to Pharaoh. So that the point of all along, God has always taken the things that we as men, we as people, see as just as amazing. We want, we want it to look like this. And he's always come in a more weak form, in a powerless form, seemingly, or in a, in a, in a way that, that offends our senses, offends our minds, offends what we've been brought up into. And instead, he shows the power of God through that. Because as any person steps into a place of weakness like that in our world, you know, it, 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 is, a, it is a fearful thing. You know, it's a fearful thing to try to argue your way or to convince your way or to try to plead the way into who the Lord is in a world that's set up for strength and Darwinism and violence and, and the, 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 the most fittest, therefore, surviving. And so we all kind of know what that's like. And, and sometimes as Christians, we put on the cloak of the wisdom of the world. We set up our churches to have excellence in all ways. We, we set them up to have you know, wonderful performances in worship. We set them up to have sermons that just go through the list and can make everything look amazing. 
we, we, we make sure that everything looks the part of just purity in the sense of worldly wisdom and, and power and, and wealth and all these things because we know that that's what, that's what attracts the world. And if we're going to be an attractional you know, people, then that makes logical sense. You, know, you want to be able to make sure that as people uh, are coming from the world and they feel comfortable in your church because that's what they're used to. You want to make sure that they are able to understand what's going on because that's what they're used to. That's what they were taught in. Our, our Western rationalistic minds, our education system, we're taught how to think this way. We're taught what excellent looks like. We're taught not to make mistakes. We're taught to look strong. And then God comes up and he, he lifts up his son completely naked, beaten down, pierced, weak on a cross, allowing his life to hang in the balance. And then he gives up his spirit. He doesn't hold on to it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's, it's foolishness. It is, it, is, it is utter foolishness to, to the world. And so we as a church, uh, when, we, when we put on those things, and I understand why. You know, there's a, there's a genuine reason that there's a logical reason for that. But we risk in so doing, removing the power out of our message. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily even the message that we are aiming at. It, we become, in the course of our life, the message. The, the point of Christianity is that as you and I become more like Jesus, we become the message itself. We become those who, in the world's eyes, are going to look weak at times. We become those, in the world's eyes, are going to look shameful at times. We, in the world's eyes, are going to look like the foolishness of God. And in so doing, we should expect, therefore, the same things that nailed Jesus to the cross, that same wisdom to apply to us. We, we should expect, at times, there to be people making fun of us or persecuting us or giving us a hard time. And we should expect within ourselves the inner turmoil that comes from experiencing those temptations. That's what it's actually like to follow Jesus. Uh, I say all these things uh, as, a, as, a, as a preface to help us work through what we've been studying these last weeks. We've been talking about rest from Hebrews 4. We expanded it a little bit into talking about rest that comes through worship and rest that comes through identity and then rest that comes apart from the law and legalism as we cast that out. And Reed steps up last week and, and invited us into the mess, the, the difficulty, the, the fear and trembling that comes when we actually encounter the power of God setting us free from the law and legalism. And, and it is a mess. It is a, at times a, a fearful thing because we, we don't yet know how well to work it out. We've been trained logically how to think in our lives and when we actually step into freedom, it looks foolish to our own senses that have been trained by the things of this world. And so we come up sometimes in fear and trembling. We come up sometimes not able to really articulate exactly what it is that has happened to us. But we're fighting because we have been given the victory. And we're fighting because we know that it's good and we know that it's real. And so we put ourselves out there in faith to help others to want to encounter that same power that is now setting us free. And that's the example that, that Reed gave to us last week. And naturally... It should cause tension. You know, naturally, it should cause things to stir up within ourselves. You know, it, it should for any of us, because invariably all of us are still in some ways holding on to some form of legalism you know, in our own lives. 
You know, Paul himself said in Philippians 3 that he hadn't yet fully grabbed a hold of all that God had grabbed a hold of him for. But forgetting what lies behind, he stretches on for what lies ahead. And he says, let all who are mature think this way. You know, meaning that, that he hadn't fully arrived. And so there's parts of himself that aren't yet fully uh, attuned to that freedom that he had yet in the Lord. But he was learning how to get rid of that. So when we see the power of God, when we see freedom on display in some ways, or the struggle with it, it ought to bring up stuff also within us. It helps us to discover those things in ourselves that are not yet quite comfortable being free in God. And I know that sounds crazy, Tom, because we're thinking, you know, I want to be free. I am free. Who are you to tell me I'm not free? Well, you know, according to the Spirit, none of us are fully, you know, fully free yet. We are all working this out. And so when we have a message like we did last week and it confronts us with various different forms of maybe discomfort or maybe we see what's happening and we're praising God for it, uh, we, we begin to, to let God sift us in that next week. We let the tension have its way. Last week, we didn't, we didn't resolve the tension. We didn't, we didn't try to like clean it up at the end. But we, at times, and it's necessary too, to leave you all in a place of tension. To wrestle with what comes up in your own heart and mind. In the counseling world, uh, which is part of where I'm coming from, uh, some of the best sessions are those that end in mess, where we, we leave the person raw and, uh, and not comforted, not at peace. Because the, the job of the counselor isn't to, to fix them, but to help them to discover really what is their what is inside that they're trying to work out. And so it's a gift to give someone when they're, you know, to see these things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't help bring healing or comfort to people. And there is wisdom and nuance to this. Uh, but there is a time when the Lord wants us to be able to have a time of just discomfort. And so what Reed was leading us into last week was, was his own personal discomfort. You know, there's some things that the Lord is working out in him as he's discovering how much legalism was holding on to sorrow in his life, yet how free he's become and becoming, how much more joy he's having in his life, how much light he has become in his life. This is the power of the gospel. We, we, don't, we are not a powerless people that should expect sorrow to just stay on us forever and heaviness to stay on us forever. But we have a victory, and we want to fight for that victory with all costs. And so we will, we will step into times where we will look, you know, like we're fear and trembling. We will, we will look like foolishness to the world. And many of you have already done that. If you're going to live lives of integrity in Jesus, you've done that in many ways. You've stepped out in faith and you've made yourself look foolish in your own eyes and maybe the lives of friends. And that's, that's part of our walk. You know, I think I told you all a couple of weeks ago when I was down in Atlanta, you know, living there and, and at Georgia Tech and living in a fraternity, and then I... I I found, or Jesus found me, and I began to walk it out. There were just friends that, that didn't want to walk it out after that with me. And, uh, and, and that's, I, I completely understand why, because it's just a radical life change that sometimes happens in our lives. And so I know what it's like to face those things. Um, I want us as a body to learn that when we experience that kind of discomfort, like how we can begin to find what the Lord is speaking to us. Because there's, there's the message itself, and, and Reed was actually speaking two messages last week. One message was on Romans 7 and, and the freedom that we now have against legalism and the, the release of sorrow. He was also showing us what it's like to live out by faith, fear and trembling, to, to walk it out with courage. 
And I want us to, as a congregation to be able to discern sometimes what we might see happening, which is a good thing, um, but also really discern what the Spirit's speaking to us personally. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want us to look at here just a little bit longer. So if you guys want to turn in the scriptures here. And so I've been kind of going through a little bit now of 1 Corinthians 2. And he gets into verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom for this age or for the rulers uh, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret wisdom that is hidden of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers understood this, for they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he goes on to say, But God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So you all have been given the Spirit of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the most astonishing gift that mankind has ever been given. Better than the world, better than creation, uh, you know, better than any wonderful thing that you have here on earth. The, the, the best gift that you've ever been given is already now with you. It's the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit that's within you is able to help you to understand the very heart of God and the very mysteries of God. You may have been taught that, you know, that the, the, the depths of God are unfathomable. And, and there is truth in that, in that he's transcended and way beyond us. That doesn't mean that you can't understand God. As a matter of fact, you can understand God. The reason why you're here is because you understand that when Jesus was placed on the cross, all sin was placed upon him, and because you believed in him, he became the atonement of your sin, and you entered in now to his life through his resurrection on the cross. And, and you understand that. To a lot of the world, that doesn't make sense. That sounds like foolishness. But you understand that. That's a mystery that most of the world, at least all the world that doesn't know God, doesn't understand. But because you are here and you love Jesus, you actually understand that. So you understand things that God only himself has revealed to you. And it's God that has revealed this to you. And God reveals other things and understands, helps you understand other things as well. In Isaiah 11, the Spirit of God has seven aspects, or seven spirits, as it's called there. And one of them is understanding. And so as the Holy Spirit rests upon you, you, grant, you are given understanding. You are able to. If you depend upon him for your understanding, and this is, this is a big watershed for us, we have been taught how to gain knowledge and understanding through our own efforts, our own mind, our own knowledge, our own working things through. And, and there is a place for that. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not. When we, when we look at the scriptures and we begin to read them through and begin to you know, deductively reason through them and, and work them out, there is great fruit in training up our natural minds how to understand how the world works. But there is also only a revelation of God that comes through the Holy Spirit. 
And if we are depending only on our abilities to understand things, then we are missing on what the Spirit is saying. And if the church has trained us that things are supposed to look a certain way, then we have also believed that if that same way is the Western rationalistic mindset and, and the wisdom of man and the strongest of the fit and then the glitzy and the powerful, all that stuff, if it's supposed to look like that, then we all automatically think that, that is God's way. And then we become deceived when the Spirit's actually speaking to us through a you know, humbling experience or through weakness or through you know, looking foolish or giving away your belongings and following Jesus or giving up a career and becoming you know, whatever it might be that God's calling you to. When we depend upon the Spirit, however, to give us understanding, we begin to pick Him up in all circumstances, in all situations, in all parts of our life. And no matter what's happening in a room, no matter how tense it may look, how messy it may look, no matter what a community itself looks like as it's coming together, we can begin to pick up on what God is doing in the midst of that and not instead turn to what we have trusted in in the past. And you're the one that has the ultimate final say on what the Lord is speaking in your life. Because you're the one that has that connection and that intimacy with God. We have leaders and trainers and pastors and all those who are helping you to hear that voice and to shepherd you into that intimacy and into that knowledge. And that's the wisdom that Paul's talking about here. Wisdom to help you understand the things of the Spirit. But only as you become the final one that is understanding God for yourself. After some time, you know, in, in the world, especially in the church, we are taught that it is, it's, it's pastors and it's leaders who have the final authority on things. Or maybe if you're from a denomination that said that the word of God is the final authority on a matter. And neither of these things are true. The final authority is Jesus. And he lives inside of you to help you discern by your senses what is right or what is wrong. And as a body, as a, as a people, that's our, that's our call to begin to learn, to listen to what he is speaking. And so when we're feeling uncomfortable, we're feeling tense in a moment, it is wise for us to ask the Spirit and just ask Him, what are you doing right now? What are you speaking to me through this? What would you have me to know about what is going on now in this moment? And begin to, to listen for that. And if that thing that you're listening to isn't leading to a place of, of love and hope and peace, but instead is leading toward fear and despair, then you're not listening to the right voice. And often in a situation that we're not comfortable with, the things that make us uncomfortable are coming from that place of fear, of, of maybe past hurts, despair, uh, maybe just our own confidence and training as opposed to the Lord. And the Lord is actually always, not always, but he's leading us, uh, not into temptation, but he's leading us into places where we discover what those things are. Because those things that are embedded within us are preventing us from knowing him intimately. And so... You know, if, if you've been in a, a fearful situation lately, it's not because you did something wrong. I'm not going to say that. Uh, it could be. Uh, but regardless, it's, some, it's a place that you've been led into, so you would help, so you would discover who Jesus is for you in that place where you formerly feared. So before I had fear in that place, but the Lord in that place revealed that he was actually my peace or my rock or my hope, whatever that would be. And that's his purpose and that's his call in his life. So in 1 Corinthians the reason why this is important to Paul to lay it down is because it was actually causing division to have differences of opinion on what they thought the church should look like. One followed Apollos, one followed Paul, another followed Cephas or Peter. You know, Paul wasn't a great speaker. He came with power, but he wasn't a great speaker. 
Maybe Apollos was a fantastic speaker. Maybe he had a very you know, good flavor. Maybe he was Methodist. You know? Maybe he was Pentecostal. Yeah, who knows? You know? You know, pick your, pick your, your preference. Pick your denomination. This is the same argument that's been happening now in the American church for a long time. You know, what, what is your denomination? How do you practice your liturgy? How do you approach the Lord? Oh, that's great for you. Well, I'm over here doing this. I prefer this. This is better over here. It makes me feel better about myself. And, and as a result, it creates, it creates division. Because at the heart of it, people are looking to their natural minds and wisdom about what they think it should look like. It should look inclusive. You know? It should look like there is no sin. It should look like universalism over here because we can all be happy and care bears. Woo! That's awesome. And yeah, and that, that seems attractive. It feels very warm and fuzzy. You know? But others, they, they like the law and they like legalism. So they're like, no, there's hell in everything you do. You know? I mean, there's, we were watching this video this last week on somebody had set up a big uh, barn for Halloween. It was a Christian barn, but it was about hell. So you walk in. And like every decision you make, you know, leads you to hell. So you walk in the middle of the barn and, and, you know, did you listen to this bad music? You open it up and there's hell and they're waiting for you, you know, ah, you know, and it's, it's a terrible place to be, but, but let's set up a church around it to scare the hell out of people, you know, and that sounds like a, you know, <clears throat> but you see, this is what happens when you think this is what it should look like based on my understanding or the world's understanding, as opposed to what the Spirit is speaking to those people that like hell and to those people that are going after universalism. What, what is the Spirit really speaking into that? And we had a, had a professor in seminary, a guy named Tim Laniac. He's, a, he's called Laniac the Brainiac, brilliant guy, you know. And he's here in town, he's a dear, dear man of God. Um, and he said that every heresy of God always had it, a truth that the church had rejected. It always contained some truth that that group was going after that the church had rejected and they were just now bringing it back in along with the other junk that went with it and so if we have a, if we become a mature body where it's good to listen to what the spirit's doing sometimes we can look at things that may seem messy or nasty or whatever it might be or, or maybe even ungodly truly heretical but find within it what the spirit is speaking to the body through it and and, and so therefore we become gracious we become generous we become able to enter into these messy, dark areas because we're not afraid of being tainted by whatever that thing is that we're speaking to or speaking against. And so we begin to have ears to hear if we're willing to ask the Spirit for understanding and listen to Him for these things. And not get freaked out when we see a mess. The reason why sometimes we, uh, we however, we want things to be normal and we want things to be you know, in our minds, the way they should be. It goes all the way back, all the way back to the garden. When we, when Adam and Eve, when you and I, when we were there with Adam and Eve, and we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we, it was a sinful desire, so it was saying, like, I want what God's saying no to, to, to decide for myself what is right or what is wrong, what is good or what is evil. And so sin and legalism are, are, are enmeshed together. It's, it's the same thing. Like we, we want to be able to say what I believe is right is right, and what I believe is wrong is wrong. And it, it all comes out of that same sinful desire to begin with. And so in his writings, the, he talks about the natural mind here in 1 Corinthians and, and the spiritual or the carnal mind. It's the same thing when he's talking in Romans 7 and Romans 8 about the, the, the natural mind or the, the, the mind of the law and the mind of the spirit. 
It's the same thing because it goes back to the same place. And in Paul's writings, you have that theme that happens throughout. When he's talking about the carnal mind, it's also talking about the legalistic mind. You have the, the spiritual mind. It's also now the, the mind that comes about and brings out the fruit of the Spirit. So these are the themes that you see in Paul's writings a lot. The reason why it's important for our discussion is because when we do talk about legalism like we did last week, we begin to uncover that all along it's part of our fleshly nature. We were actually attracted to law because we want to have uniformity at heart. We, we believe that peace comes through sameness. So peace comes through everyone looking the same and everyone doing the right things in, in our minds. So everyone doing the same thing. At the heart of that is still sin but it'll look right to the American church. And so I, I want us as a church to become open to all these different expressions to the Lord, How, however it looks. If it looks charismatic, if it looks liturgical, if it looks you know, very well buttoned up in the best sense, like you know, a nice, tight sermon, uh, because all those are necessary and all those are good. I, I want us to be a fearless people that are able to, to experience these things together, but recognize that the heart of it is for us to be free in the Spirit to, to follow what He is speaking in these moments to us at all times. And to not prefer or judge against one another as we go and do this. And at times that's going to require us to confront in a messy way our own preferences. Our own areas where we're not yet free. Uh, our areas yet where our sorrows are, are too heavy for us. Like uh, Reed was talking about last week. We are a victorious church. The joy of the Lord is our strength and it's our birthright. You know, but to get there, you're going to have to go through some sorrows at first <laughs> to the point of being free. So uh, I'm not going to speak too much more on this, but <clears throat> the reason why I mentioned in the email this week briefly, um, I mentioned that uh, the reason why uh, legalism is, is such a detriment to us is because it actually holds sorrow in place. Um, when, when we believe that we hold what is right or wrong in our hands, so this is legalism at its core, whether or not it agrees with, with the law of Moses or not, the belief that we hold right or wrong in our hands is legalism. And when we believe that, uh, we become also those that are able to set a person free uh, or not. And if we can't set a person free, and if we can't set ourselves free, if we've injured someone, then the sorrow that that has caused stays with us. You know, if, if we're the ones that decide whether that, that was right or wrong or not, then we're also the ones that hold the responsibility of that wrong. So we hold sorrow. We, we hold whatever else also comes with that, guilt, shame, whatever things we might be struggling with, ultimately at the end of it is because we believe that that, that happened to us. We are the ones that can decide if that was right or wrong. And so the, the power of forgiveness is saying, you know what, Jesus, you died on the cross. That is the ultimate justice of, of, of mankind because you became man. All sin of mankind was placed on you. You represent all of mankind. I am going to believe that whatever, whatever happened to me, whatever I did to someone else, all that now when I place it on you is out of my hands and into your hands. Because you, know, you, you, you were perfect, but also you're God and you were willing to take that. I, I'm going to take that off of my hands. I'm going to let that burden go. And you're the one that's going to be responsible for it. And he says, thank you. On Jesus, whatever sorrows, whatever legalism, whatever that was that, was, what, that you did or did to, to someone else, stays on him. And then when he was resurrected, 
you have been resurrected. And so therefore, instead of receiving sorrow and guilt and shame, you receive joy. You receive peace because you've let go of that responsibility and the effects of that sin. You therefore get the benefits of the resurrection back because you have given it over to God. And that is worshipful. That is joyful to do that. It is joyful because in that moment, you are identifying yourself with Christ. You are identifying yourself with God himself who gave those things for you and to you. You are identifying yourself with his ability to let those things go. You are identifying yourself with his power. You are identifying yourself with his free gift in that moment because you are giving that up yourself. And that's the process that Reed was talking about. That is the ultimate joy. Uh, otherwise, it's wretched man am I. And, and that's what the church has, has taught us, that we still live under the law, essentially powerless. I'm not saying the church at large. You know, it's, it's been heavy into Protestantism you know, and Puritanism. But, but just in general speaking, most of us, when we are, when we are raised, uh, we, we are taught the Ten Commandments, right? You know, the, the, the Ten Commandments and the law was only given to us because of our hardness of heart. Jesus said that. You know, you've been given, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce, tells you in Matthew 5, because of your hardness of heart. If, if Adam had even not sinned, we would not have the law at all. We would only and always have the Spirit. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the law. It's, it's there to help us to see how sinful we were. Uh, but if we had been raised up in the Spirit at all times, we would have never needed the law. Romans 7 is only for those that had grown up under the law. And the church has taught that. Our nation has taught that. Our nation is fighting for the Ten Commandments in their courtrooms because they do not know the Spirit of God. <clears throat> it's not the law that's going to set our nation free. <clears throat> it's not having some president or some speaker of the house that knows Christianity so well that they're going to put it in law <clears throat> that's going to set our nation free. It's only the Spirit of God that does that. <clears throat> and so we as a people... It is our privilege and our joy to let go of deciding what is right or wrong. And I'm not saying that I am agreeing with sin in this. Hear me out with that. There is sin. It's real. Hell is real. <laughs> um, I, those things are all true. <laughs> they, are, they are a helpful instruction for us as we learn how to walk by the Spirit. If, if we are following the Spirit, then we will fulfill the law. We will fulfill all righteousness. But it's not the other way around. And so I'm going to park it there. Um, there's a lot more that I want to read into this. Um, but for the sake of, of our time, I'll leave it with that. The reason why this is so important is because uh, as a church body, we have a precious gift here amongst us. Um, I'm committed. Your leadership is committed to walking by the Spirit. Um, it's it's going to be messy along the way for all of us because me at times, I, I feel fear at times, at times, like trying to lead this way because I, I didn't have an example of what this looks like. And so it confronts me often with my insecurities and my shortcomings and all those things because, you know, I am tempted to believe that it's all upon me. That's just my temptation. And that's not true. It's all on Jesus. But we have a special unique opportunity here as a body. And it's going to require you all to trust one another in your mess. And it's going to require you all to hear the Spirit for one another and to let go of your paradigms of ministry, paradigms of church, what you think ought and should, and listen to the Spirit with one another. Sit with Him and ask for understanding. Be really slow to judge. Really slow. 
You know, we are, we are taught, Jesus says, be careful to cast your pearls before swine. And so we are to recognize swine. That is a form of judging to see the circumstances. We aren't condemning, but we are observing and figuring out who I can trust with these pearls. That said, we are to be careful in doing that to others. And I'm, I'm kind of being heavy-handed right now. I want us as a, as a church to really press into this a lot. Um, it, it helps with, within, you know, marriages. You know, we, we are the ones that most want to judge our spouse, right? <laughs> and, and so that's a great place to practice. But I, I want us to, to practice being offended by other people. I, I, I'd love it if you guys would ask the Lord in this next week, Lord, I want you to send people that will offend me. <laughs> ask the Lord for that. <laughs> you know, ask, those, ask the Lord to, to show you people only for the sake, only for the purpose of learning how to lean instead into listening to the spirit of that person. Recognize how quickly that comes up sometimes. You're like, okay, there it is. I see it, you know. And then, and then ask the Lord, now show me how to lean into what you're speaking so I can give love to this person, grace. You know, let, let me find it for myself first. Does that sound like a fun little treasure hunt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever prayed that one before? I remember I once uh, asked the Lord, uh, I was going through a funny little time period, I asked him to, uh, to humiliate me, and I'm, I'm not recommending this is a good idea. The, the point of it, I, I was wanting humility, and I was reading about this guy who was asking for that, to you know, ask the Lord to humiliate you. I'm like, all right, that's a good idea. And so I did, and the next day I had sent up uh, this breakfast with one of my professors in seminary, and this guy I admired and esteemed a lot, and, uh, <laughs> and, and was at a nice place. And so I wanted to treat him to it. And we go out and we're having, having breakfast and, you know, like the, the bill comes and I reach in. I was like, I've got this. I reach in my pocket and my, my wallet wasn't there. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, no, Dr. So-and-so, like, I don't know where my wallet is. And he just roared with laughter, you know. He's like, you called this meeting and you didn't have the money to show up for it. <laughs> and in the end, I remember that prayer. It was like, yeah. You know, that's it. You know, there's, there's humility right here. And I, I, felt, I felt such comfort, such warmth, and such love from Lord and this man, too, uh, through that time period. But it was, it was helpful for me just to face those kind of things. Like, it's helpful for you to face those kind of difficult things. And so take, read as an example. Step out in faith in some areas where you don't feel quite settled into yet. And recognize that, hey, there's going to be some things that you learn after the fact. There's going to be some things that you learn after the fact about who you are and about how you can grow from all those things. But don't be afraid of it, either. And we want to be a community that embraces the messiness, the awkwardness, and to listen to one another well. Because there is a gift, friends, that we have in this body that we are going to find the spirit together. We're going to find a resurrection. We're going to find victory in all these areas. We're going to be a place where the miracles of God happen. We're going to be a place where genuine love with one another happens. We are going to be a place where these divine connections with one another happen, that you will be seen and known, that we will actually have the fruit of the spirit. We will see the work of our hands flourish in all that we do. And so I, I just I put this before you because this is a training ground here where you meet on Sundays and in your little groups at homes. Uh, but the world is, is where we want to reveal the glory. So, all right, so uh, if you wouldn't mind, just, let's just pray for a moment as we get the table ready for communion. I'm getting long again. I'm sorry, Lydia. Uh, yeah. <laughs>